I'm going to take your Bibles tonight. Please turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. You glad you're saved tonight? Amen. We're glad you're here. Genesis chapter 22. God's help, I'd like to preach a message entitled Altars. Just simply Altars. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, let's read together. We'll start in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of the Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and said, saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Lord, we desire to learn from your word, and so I ask that you would speak to our hearts and help us tonight. There may be a great moving of the Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, I surrender to you and ask that you'd fill me with your spirit. I desperately need your help. Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The word altar appears 321 times in your Bible. 321. It seems like it's an important theme to God for people to build an altar. And every last one of those times, all 321, refer to worship. Worshiping God upon an altar. It was an altar of worship, an altar of sacrifice. But always remember this, 321 times the word altar is mentioned in the Bible. It means a place of worship. A place of worship. As we read through those 321 times, we won't do that tonight so you can breathe a sigh of relief. You'll begin to see a pattern emerge. Many times altars are built and they are uh, purposed for the sense upon a mountaintop where the Jews would go and they would worship their God. 
Often a great victory would be wrought, and so they would set up an altar. You'll remember as they crossed the River Jordan, they erected an altar there uh, in remembrance of what God had done. When they took down Jericho, they erected an altar and they worshipped. And time and time again, we see a great victory, and then we see worship. When they took the Promised Land, they set up the tabernacle in Shiloh. And there they erected an altar, and there they would worship God. It was a great time in the history of Israel. Time and time again, we see when the Ark of the Covenant was taken by David back finally into Jerusalem, that they worshiped God around the altar. It was a place of worship. And throughout the Bible, we see this. But I want you to notice that on some occasions, we have some great Bible examples of people worshiping when things weren't going that well. You know, it's easy for us to lift our voice in praise and get excited when God is blessing our lives and we see the hand of God in a very visible way and moving in our lives and providing us with great blessings. And, and we just we get excited about that. We can worship, we can praise God. But what about when things are hard? What about when things are difficult? The last verse of the book of Psalms says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You know, when things are difficult, you still have breath. And the command has not changed that we are to praise the Lord. The Bible says, in everything give thanks. That's everything. There's trials and there's sorrows and there's grief, and yet God calls on us to worship Him. It's not always the easiest thing. I want to talk tonight about building altars in those places. We see in Genesis chapter 22, first of all, tonight, we see an altar is built in the face of a great trial. An altar that is built in the face of a great trial. Abraham was facing a trial. The Bible might call it a test or a temptation, but for tonight, I'm going to call it a trial. Can you imagine how his faith was tried? The Bible says that God spoke to Abraham. He said, Abraham, he said, here am I, Lord. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. The Bible says to his credit that Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, and he claved the wood and the fire, and he took his son, and he headed toward the land of Moriah. We see the command of God was not an easy command. Sacrifice your son. Now, if, if I were Abraham, I, I, would, I wouldn't need all the extra description. God said, take now thy son. I know who that is. No, no, no. Your only son. Yes, I know, Lord. He's my only son. The son that you love. Yes, I know, Lord. It's almost like God was just painting a picture of how difficult this was going to be. He lays before him the scenario, I I want you to take your son and I want you to take him to the land of Moriah and I want you to offer him upon a mountain which I will tell thee of. And so we see the command and then we see the compliance. The Bible says that Abraham rose up early in the morning. He quickly obeyed the will of God. But I want you to notice the character. The character, look at verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, And I and the lad will go yonder and do what? And worship. And come again 
to you. Abraham says, we're going to go worship. Understand this, Abraham could have fulfilled the command of God simply by taking his son and sacrificing. He could have done it in anger and still been obedient. He could have got up the next morning in absolute sorrow and grief and tears. And every step he took, he could cry out to God and say, I don't understand. I don't know why. This is the promise. This is the one that's to be a great nation. You yourself, God, have said, this is my only son. And with every step and every breath he took, he could have complained. He could have whined. He could have cried. But he didn't. He said, I will worship. I will worship. There's a great Bible example there that we cannot always grasp of how do we worship God when things are hard. When God is asking to turn our lives upside down, when he's asking us to give up some certain things, and how, how do we worship God in those times? Abraham made a decision. It's a choice. I will worship God. He understood, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, that even if God took his son, he was able to raise him back up from the dead. It wasn't just a test of his character, but it was a demonstration of his faith. His faith was never more evident when he got to that mountaintop and he began to erect that altar. And Isaac saying, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where's the lamb? And as he places rock after rock, he says, God will provide. God will provide. As he comes to his son and he binds his hands and his feet and he picks him up on that altar, I wonder if he's rehearsing under his breath, God will provide. God will provide. He lays him upon that altar and he lifts that knife and the angel stops his hand. And there caught in a thicket a little ram. But even in the midst of that trial, in that great wrenching of his heart, Abraham said, I will worship. I will build an altar. I, I, I don't need a victory. I don't need a new car. I don't need a new house. I don't need a million dollars. And right in the middle of this tragedy, right in the middle of this trial, when I don't understand what God is doing, I'm still going to worship Him. And what happened? God did fulfill His promise. Can you imagine the time of worship He and Isaac must have had on that mountaintop? I imagine for a little while, Isaac might have slept with one eye open. It would have been a difficult time for, for a while, I'm sure. But Abraham was relieved that God provided himself a lamb. You see, sometimes we don't get to see the finished work of God until we act in obedience and faith and we give God the glory no matter what the circumstances are. Abraham chose to worship. I want you to notice another tonight. Would you turn to Job chapter 1? Abraham learned in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 1, Jehovah Jireh, God sees and God supplies. So I want you to turn to the Job chapter 1. Go to the middle of your Bibles and turn back just a little bit right before the book of Psalms. You'll find the book of Job. 
We all know the story of Job, don't we? The world might read the account from the beginning to end and say, well, Job is complaining and he's whining, but I don't want you to think that. There was no bitterness in his heart if you read it carefully. Now understand this, it is true that Job didn't understand everything that was happening to him. Uh, Would you? And Job was discouraged, wouldn't you be? But not once did he ever take, he, he bemoaned that he was alive, but he never tried to take his life. He was hurting, he was brokenhearted over the death of his children, but he did the only thing he knew to do. He talked to God. I want you to notice that Job built an altar in the finality of great tragedy. We see the great trial in the life of Abraham, but now we see it's a step further. It's a great tragedy. Job lost his sons and his daughters. He lost everything that he had. God allowed Satan to take this one a step further. He allowed him to take everything but his life. There was a finality to it. But look at some key verses with me. In Job chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. That's a sign of mourning and grief in the Jewish culture. And he fell down upon the ground. And what did he do? He worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Look at Job chapter 2 and look at verse 9 with me. Then said his wife unto him, understand another uh, tragedy has befallen him. Now his health is being taken and he is scraping the boils off his body. And his wife looks at him there in those ashes and she said unto him, dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive? Good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job made a conscious decision. Yes, I've lost my family, and I've lost my crops, and I've lost my animals, and now I'm losing my health, but I will worship God anyway. I will lift up the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Turn, if you will, to the end of the chapter. Chapter 42, Job chapter 4, at the end of the book, I'm sorry, Job chapter 42. Well, Job had more than that to contend with. He had questions for God. If you read the rest of the book, you will find that God, he goes back and forth with God. and God, why? And God answers with, can thou dry Leviathan with a hook? And he just talks about his power and his might. And he helps Job to understand that you can't see everything I'm doing. You don't understand the the movings of God, and so you just need to learn to trust. He had some friends, Eliaphas, the Temanite, and others, who would come and they would tempt Job. And the Bible says, then Job answered the Lord and said in verse chapter 42, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the 
hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Through all of the trials and the tragedy that Job had been facing, God revealed himself to him. And if you will read several of those chapters, there's about 38 chapters there where God is communicating with Job and revealing to him his power and his might and that he has a plan for his life. And Job comes to this conclusion, now that I'm standing in your presence, I have always heard you with my ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He understood who he was in the sight of God, who he was in the presence of God. Oh, he didn't build a physical altar, but he had an altar in his heart that said, I will always worship God. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I told you about my friend, Mike Armchuk. Mike was the fellow that uh, I was in Africa when he went home to be with the Lord in 2007. And uh, Pastor McLean from New Testament Baptist Church had been doing the nursing home ministry in the home that he was in. And he was not uh, an unhealthy man. His wife had terrible Alzheimer's. And he knew that he had a bit of a heart problem. And he thought, you know, if anything ever happened to me, my wife, I might lay in the house for days. She would not know what to do. So they got into a nursing home together in a room so that if something happened to him, she was taken care of. The night he died, Pastor McLean told me this, that he went to the nurse's station and he says, I've run out of paper. He says, may I, may I borrow a piece of paper? I'd like to leave a note for my daughter. He says, I'm going home tonight. Pastor McLean told me this story. And the nurses said to Pastor McLean when he came to talk to them and meet his wife before the funeral, he said, they told, they related this story to him and they said, we, he must have been losing his mind because he was... In a nursing home, he wasn't going home. Pastor McLean said, that's not what he meant. God had just given him a sense that tonight would be the night that he'd meet his Savior. About a year before that, they had a daughter that had cancer and she died. And I went in and it was a terrible scene because Mrs. Armchuck had Alzheimer's and every time she heard her daughter died, it was for the first time. And so that grief would overtake her again. And she never never weeped and wailed and... She said, she just keeps saying this. She says, I don't worry, I pray. I don't worry, I pray. And I turned to Brother Mike and we'd taken some flowers up and I said, Brother Mike, I said, how are you doing? He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew he'd see his daughter again. That yes, there was a finality to this tragedy that took place in his life. But he said, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to turn my eyes heavenward. I'm going to praise the Lord. You know, sometimes the death of a loved one is the most difficult times in our lives. Can we still praise Him? We look at the time that is lost rather than the time that had been given. Job understand that in that day it is Job that wrote that my Redeemer lives. And on that day I will stand. He knew of the resurrection. He knew that one day he'd be reunited with his family. Yes, it's a tragedy for those left behind, but we can worship and we can praise the Lord anyway. An altar in the finality of great tragedy.
I want you to look at the third thing with me. A third altar. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to see a third altar, an altar in the midst of great temptation. An altar in the midst of great temptation. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king sought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion or fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except... We find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever in all the presidents of the kingdom and the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You know, there are different types of temptation we find in the Word of God. There's temptation from God, which is a testing, a providential testing like we see in the life of Abraham and Isaac. There's temptation from an evil source. We are trying to fight this temptation on a daily basis. The devil steps in and tries to cause us to stumble and to fall. There's temptation in a personal way. Maybe you're offered a, a, a piece of pie. So I'm very tempted to take you up on that offer. I want to talk about the second definition. When we are tempted from an external force. Understand what is going on in the life of Daniel. Daniel is preferred above the princes. And I'm sure there was some jealousy involved there because a Jewish boy had risen to the rank of uh, the chief premier of the province. They looked up to him, and yet he was not of Babylon. He was not one of them, and yet he was trusted by the king because an excellent spirit was in him. He loved and served his God. The Bible says they sought occasion to overthrow him, and they could not find fault with him, so they decided, let's find fault with him concerning his God. And they made this crazy decree that, if you're going to pray or make petition in the next 30 days, it must be only to the king. He said, where is the temptation? Later, Daniel would stand before the king. After bowing in his room and praying three times a day, and the Bible says giving thanks, worshiping God. The king would say, is this true, Daniel? And Daniel was faced with a choice. 
He would be tempted. Should I give in and save my life? Or should I obey God and pay the price? Well, we know what Daniel chose, don't we? Daniel chose to obey the Lord God and would not bow to the king's decree. And so therefore, he was cast into a den of lions. It cost him. But look what it says in verse 23. Or look, look, sorry, back in verse 20. And when he came, Darius, to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have no hurt, not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because, why? He believed in his God. Look at verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Abraham built a physical altar upon a mountaintop. It was an Old Testament place of worship and sacrifice. Job built an altar in his heart that he kept before his God. Daniel had an altar in his home. A place where he would bow three times a day and give thanks and worship his God. It didn't matter what the temptation was to turn aside, to follow the things of this world. Daniel was true in his character and he followed after his God. Now let me say this. Each of these altars were symbolic of the altar of sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. We have an altar here at the church. It's not an altar of stone. But it's a symbolic place. It's not a place where we are doing physical sacrifices, but it's a place where we are to die, our, die to ourselves. We are to be crucified with Christ. It is a place of worship. And some of you have an altar in your home. Some of you have an altar in your heart. But let me encourage you tonight that we must understand this. No matter where that altar is, whether it's on a mountaintop with Abraham, whether it's in the heart of Job, whether it is in Daniel's bedchamber, understand this. Every altar is to be a place of worship. In trial, in tragedy, in testing, in temptation, we are to worship the Lord. It's not just for the festive times of life. It is not just when things are going well. It's when we're grieving and in sorrow. We must also give praise to our God. Each altar was a place of worship. Here's another principle. Each altar was a place of faith. It's easy to have faith when things are going well. But Job worshipped because he believed God. Daniel was preferred because of his belief in God. God saved him from the lions because he believed God. Abraham believed that God could raise up Isaac from the dead if necessary. There was a faith in their hearts and their lives that had caused them to turn and worship to their God. Each altar was a place of worship. Each altar was a place of faith. Each altar was a place of decision. 
Every man had to decide what he was going to do when he came to that altar. Will I sacrifice my son? Will I rise up early in the morning? Will I clave the wood? Will I get the fire together? Will I start heading towards the land of Moriah? What happens when I get to the bottom of the mountain and yet God has not given us a lamb? Will I climb the mountain? Will I build an altar? Will I bind my son? Will I raise a knife? And it was then and only then that the ram appeared. It was a place of faith, a place of worship, but it was a place of decision. Abraham had to decide, will I trust God? Job had to decide as well. Everything had been taken away from him. There was nothing left to hold on. I often like to put it this way, God took everything but a nagging wife. That's all he was left with. Why don't you curse God and die? His three friends that would come to him were no encouragement. They labeled him as a sinner that God must be judging you because of your sin, Job. All they brought was discouragement. His wife brought discouragement. But Job decided in his heart, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to choose this day to trust God. And Daniel 2 Faced with the choice, will I obey the king or will I obey my God? Made a choice. God is able to shut the mouths of the lions. And so I'll obey him. I don't know about you, but I picture Daniel sleeping like a baby in that lion's den. Curled up on one of them lions for a pillow keeping him warm. I don't know if it happened like that, but I like to think it did. But because of the faith of these three men, they were able to worship. I don't, I don't need to connect the dots there, do I? We worship because we have faith. Because we believe God. We can sing, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That, that little hymn just... Four lines is one of my favorite hymns. It's so deep in theology and rich in praise. And as I sing that hymn, we can all get excited about it, can't we? And we can put on a show and we can smile and we can raise our hands and we can shout. But true worship happens when we actually believe what we're singing. When we have faith that He is the man of sorrows. That He was wounded for our transgressions and He was pierced for our iniquity. When we, we finally come to the point where we have faith that God is able, then we'll truly worship Him. I wonder, now in the 21st century church, we struggle to worship sometimes. We struggle to worship. We have an idea that worship is singing a song. Listen, you, you can worship when you're vacuuming the floors. It's, it's not about what's coming out of your lips. It's about what's going on in your heart. But I wonder if we miss out on worship because we've missed out on faith. These three men were men of great faith. These three men are in Hebrews chapter 11. These three men are spoken of often throughout the Bible and throughout history because of their faith. 
And they worshiped because they believed what they were worshiping. They believed in a God. They believed in what God was doing in their lives. Let me say this. We will never worship properly until we learn to trust and believe and have faith in our God. But we'll certainly never worship Him in trial or tragedy until we can honestly say, I believe that God knows what's best. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me encourage you. The next time a trial pops up, just go ahead and build an altar. Right in that place. So what do you what do you mean? Get alone with God somewhere and praise Him. So that's crazy talk. No, no. In everything, give thanks. Get alone with God and thank Him. I, I'm not saying you're excited about somebody dying. You're not excited about losing your job. But you can praise Him and thank Him that He's going to provide for you. You can thank Him and praise Him like we've done tonight for Bob Lane that we'll see Him again. There's something to be thankful for. Let's trust God that He knows what is best. And then we can begin to truly worship Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we love you and we thank you tonight for your goodness. Lord, you've been so good to us. Father, I pray that you would rejuvenate our faith. Help us to truly believe that God is in control. Lord, there's times where we have questions, times when we have doubts. But Lord, help us to never lose sight that we have a Father that loves us and He's in control of every situation. And he's working all things together for good. And we can get a hold of that simple fact that you are working for our good. And we can truly believe that and, and, and stop trying to fix everything ourselves and just trust in God. Maybe we can start to worship you properly. These three great men tonight, all of their worship was rooted in their faith. If they did not believe like they did, they would not have worshipped like they did. So Lord, help us to learn from these examples, these men of God that laid a path before us to follow. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Let's sing together. And If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open even now. Would you come? Let's do business with the Lord.